This week's episode is brought to you by Serpents and Salamanders. More of that at the end of the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Crockcast Podcast. I'm your host, Nate, along with my co-host, Matt. Hey. And today we're joined by Dr. Matthew Metcalf. Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? Thank you for having me. So, yeah. So, uh, just to clarify, I'm going to refer to uh, Matt as Matt and uh, Matt as Dr. Matt, just to clarify. <laughs> I, I, I'm not a, I'm not actually a doctor. Um, I have my master's degree, but no, uh, no doctorate. <laughs> you can call me Dr. Matt if you want. I'll just call you uh, scientist Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Snake Matt works too. I get that right, pretty so, often. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Matt, uh, can you tell us about uh, what your uh, work is, what your research is in? Yeah. Um, so, I am a I'm an instructor at Florida Gulf Coast University uh, here in Fort Myers, Florida, and do a lot of different things. But I think the uh, the most exciting part of my research, my work is uh, I work with uh, dimeback rattlesnakes here in Southwest, Southwest Florida. So it's super cool. Um, we are putting trackers inside of them and following them around. Uh, the FGCU campus is like about 50% of it is conservation land. So it's a really unique area. Uh, most universities are definitely not, don't definitely don't have conservation lands. Uh, you do get wildlife on, you know, some of those campuses, but it's like squirrels that want to steal your lunch uh, or mo mockingbirds, right? Uh, but uh, because we have this yeah. wild area on our campus, we have a pretty good population of diamondback rattlesnakes uh, that we put trackers in and we follow around. So doing a lot of like spatial ecology with it. What got you into um, reptiles and herpetology and all that? Yeah. Um, so that's a good question. Um, uh, I feel like I am outside of the norm for herpetology in general. Um, I didn't have that, uh, that obsession from a small, you know, as a small child. Um, as a kid, I liked everything. Uh, and really until I got, I mean, I still like everything. So I think that maybe still is an issue, but uh, uh, going into like, going into um like but for my bachelor's uh it was trying to be like figuring out what i wanted to work with what i wanted to do i knew i wanted to work with animals uh and originally i was a pre-vet major because that's all that i knew i didn't know that you could go into a job working with wildlife um so after taking a couple classes uh, at auburn university uh i've kind of figured out like oh like i can actually do wildlife sciences um that's cool I love dogs and cats, but I don't want to work with dogs and cats all the right. time. Um, so mainly the crazy people, I guess, who would own those things. Um, but uh, found out that I could do, you know, do wildlife science. So I took a bunch of ologies. So ornithology, mammalogy, herpetology, ichthyology, all those fun things. Um, and I thought that taking those courses would be like, okay, like, I'll find some that I enjoy. And then, you know, some of them I'll be like, well, don't want to do that. Uh, 
but that wasn't the case. Um, everything was interesting. So that didn't help me kind of narrow down. Um, going into it, I guess I kind of like, I kind of focused in, I thought, I thought herpetology was really interesting. Uh, I thought marine science was also really interesting. Um, kind of going back and forth with those for the longest time. I actually did a couple marine science jobs after I graduated uh, with my bachelor's. So I worked down the Florida Keys for a little bit. Uh, and I also worked at the Dolphin Island Sea Lab off the coast of Alabama, uh, where I worked in like seagrass ecology, uh, which I enjoyed a lot. I had a lot of fun at, at Dolphin Island. It was a really great place to be and to work. Um, I, but I did realize that seagrass was not my thing. So... <laughs> Um, so, uh, I shortly, shortly after that, I was, you know, getting to the point where I was like, okay, like going to go to grad school. Um, and I was like, well, I, I have done marine science jobs pretty much solely, uh, after college, but I was like, I want to, I want to do a herpetology job just to see if I do like that. Cause I did have like, you know, a hankering towards, towards herpetology. So I took a job up in North Alabama, uh, working with Alabama A&M University, and uh, I lived in the Bankhead National Forest, um, out in a camper trailer in the woods, uh, for six months, um, doing drift fences and pitfall traps, uh, working with mainly working with salamanders, and we caught copperheads like every single day, um, and I was hooked. Uh, as soon as the first time that I got to tube and hold a copperhead, I was like, this is it. This is cool. I want to do this one. Um, and so that kind of led me down to working in South Florida, uh, where I came down to Florida Gulf Coast uh, to the grad program here in 2013. And then have been here ever since. I like the warm weather. So <laughs> I was kind of the, the same way. I was interested in everything. I watched documentaries on just about everything. I'm pretty sure I was the only first grader that knew what like, quantum mechanics was <laughs> growing up. Um, but yeah, but luckily I had a friend early on that was also big into reptiles. And that's what made me focus in on herpetology from that point on. And every, I was still interested in everything, but that's what kind of made me focus in on that. Um, so you just recently um, did a trip to the Amazon. Uh, yeah. Over there, you want to tell us a little bit about that? Um, oh yeah, we'll be here for hours. Um, <laughs> yeah, <for sure>. so, <laughs> um, yeah, so, um, I guess I'll kind of give a back, like a backstory of how I got, I get, I guess I got here. Uh, my advisor, Dr. John Herman, uh, from a master's work, uh, passed away from cancer in 2018. Um, and he was actually the one that started up the rattlesnake work. So, uh, I was working with Eastern Indigo snakes, uh, doing telemetry down at Rookery Bay. Uh, and John was working with Diamondback Rattlesnakes at FGCU. Um, so when he was going through chemo and stuff like that, uh, I had the, you know, I've, I've had the experience doing telemetry, uh, and working with venomous snakes. So it was a, you know, pretty easy for me to take over. It's just like something, one less thing for him to have to worry about. Um, so I took that work over, uh, and then uh, a year and a half later, he passed away. And uh, the university hired me to teach classes and to continue the work that he was doing. Um, so super humble to do all of that. Uh, we were extremely close. I was more than happy to do that uh, and uh, have been there ever since. And so I've continued continue doing that rattlesnake work. Um, but part of that, 
I guess, job title. Um, I was also expected to take on some of the undergraduate students that my advisor was working with, um, which is cool. Um, I like mentoring undergrad students, graduate students, um, especially if it's like snake or herp related. I always love it. Um, and one of those students is a far better student than I ever was. Uh, but he uh, he received funding from the FGCU Honors College in 2019 for summer uh, to go to the Peruvian Amazon to do amphibian and reptile surveys. So he had actually been the summer previous uh, with the study abroad group and kind of set up the idea for this project and kind of like scoped it out. Um, you know, the university didn't feel super comfortable sending a 19, 20 year old to the Amazon by himself. Uh, totally understandable. That'd be cool, uh, though. Yeah, right. I mean, and he was, and he's a, he has a ton of reptile experience. Uh, he has also handled venomous snakes. He worked with the rattlesnake project for a little bit. Um, so he, if you're going to send any undergraduate student, like he was the one to send. Um, so I, you know, flubbed my Spanish speaking ability a little bit and convinced the university to send me down there with them. Um, but again, I also have, you know, tropical herpetology experience. So uh, I wasn't completely lying for the whole thing. Mm. Uh, so uh, so they sent us down there in 2019 uh, from May to August, which was 72 days, um, quite a long time. Uh, we worked with our collaborators, Project Amazonas, uh, which is an awesome organization. Uh, if anybody gets a chance to check them out, go to their website. Super, super cool. They have two... Uh, research stations that are down there uh and we stayed at the santa cruz station which is fairly close to the city of iquitos um and by fairly close i mean it was about a three hour boat ride car ride to get out there so it was it was pretty remote but um closer than the other station um so we were down there uh, we did these transects through um, primary secondary uh forest and pasture lands so primary forest is just land that has like, quote unquote, never been touched by humans. Um, it's like as pristine as it can be. And then you have secondary forest, which is basically fallow. So uh, it was a typically down there, it's going to be like a citrus grove um, or some sort of like banana plantain uh, plant ooh, plantation. Wow, that's tough to say. Uh, or, you know, like some sort of, uh, you know, agriculture, um, usually pasture like cows and things like that cow, cow land pretty pretty big down down there so um that goes fallow within a couple years um the rainforest takes over pretty quickly uh as opposed to in other locations um, it's a pretty difficult place obviously to live yeah. uh there's a lot of extremes down there um, the soil is pretty poor so not too many things grow very well so it's hard to keep like agricultural plants alive for very long, just because it is such an intense environment. Um, and so we were just monitoring the amphibian and reptile populations that were on our transects in these different habitats and then comparing the community structures uh, when we got back. Why specifically the Peruvian part of the Amazon? Is that just because that's where the stations were at or? Uh, yeah, that's, that's uh, the collaborators we found. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so uh, that's part of it, but also um, there's n there's very little information about 
the amphibian and reptile communities in the Amazon, uh, which is was pretty shocking to me at first. Um, because maybe because we're like herpetology minded people, but when you think of the Amazon, you're like anacondas, caiman, like you know, yeah, um, like you know, super cool snakes and frogs yeah. and just the diversity. Um, but it's again, it, it is such an extreme environment. Each, you know, it, just a, the smallest region will have just a huge diversity of organisms there. And then you go, you know, a hundred miles downriver to another site and it's the same amount of biodiversity, but it's completely different biodiversity. So, um, this station that we had gone to had never had a reptile amphibian study, uh, that was methodological, so it was not very set up before. Um, so we were the first ones to like kind of set up for this station. It's a fairly new station. Um, and so we recorded those species that are there and obviously ran more intense analyses with it later on. But uh, it's it also helps bring attention to Project Amazonas and their research sites and attracts other researchers, hopefully, uh, and also attracts uh, like just general visitors. Um, the last time we went, we went this past December or January and, uh, you know, the, they'll take, you know, general, you know, um, if people want to come down for like a herping adventure, like you don't have to be associated with the university or some sort of like research based thing. Uh, they have just people coming down for vacation. So it's a cool place. Yeah. I had, um, when I interned with the Kentucky reptiles, Zoo, I had a, a Brazilian guy come in and moved to Kentucky, which is kind of a strange move. But um, yeah. he so he came in for a tour and everything. And he was a super great guy. It was just him and, and his son and everything. We had a really long, we had like a three hour conversation. But the guy was telling me, because um, he lived, you know, in Brazil, right next to the Amazon forest. And he said he came into the reptile zoo because he said he's never seen a reptile or a snake before. He's never seen a snake before. And he's always wanted to see a snake. And he's told me, he walks barefoot in the Amazon all the time. He says he's terrified to walk anywhere in the U.S. with uh, with in his bare feet because he thinks snakes are everywhere in the U.S. And, but he's never seen a snake. Really? In the Amazon. Yeah, super bizarre, right? And so he's yeah. like, yeah, whenever I walk outside or in the woods in the U.S., I always make sure to wear boots and chaps. He's like, I, I, I'm just <laughs> so. So I happened to be doing copperhead research up there, and he happened to be camping at the same place I was doing the copperhead research. So I took him there, and I got to show him some copperheads and stuff. And that was really cool. That was the first like wild snake he's ever seen. Um, so I thought that was super weird. And um, Jim Harrison, the guy who runs the Kentucky Rapids Zoo, he um, he said the same thing when he went. Um, he it was his growing up. He said his dream was to go herping in the Amazon. And when he was 18, for his 18th birthday, he hitchhiked all the way from Ohio down um, to Panama. I didn't realize Panama wasn't connected. Worked on a boat. <laughs> he has some of the craziest stories. Worked on a boat to get across it. Got across and then herped um, in the Amazon. Said he couldn't find anything until he went into the cities and uh, looked underneath the trash cans and everything. And that's when he found a bunch of snakes and oh. everything. So super weird. Um, Maybe I'm not sure about rats. Yeah, had to be I right. Guess, that's what I. That's what I would assume. Yeah. That's what he said. Is that you, there's tons of trash in like the cities and stuff, and you turn it over, and there's rats, and so there's snakes. Um, 
interesting. I'm not sure about why Jim couldn't find any, but like the Brazilian, and we actually had this Australian guy on here before, and he was saying how people in Australia always, or people think that Australia is just covered in snakes. You see snakes everywhere. He's like, but he said, um, he's like, people here, just like the people in the U.S., like you don't really see them day to day unless you're looking for them. And mm-hmm. I guess that's probably the same way over in Brazil. Unless you're really looking for them, you're not really going to be running across them all the time. Yeah, like uh, I could definitely see that, especially where we went out of. Um, so the the main city that we were closest to is called Iquitos. Uh, it's in the northeastern mm-hmm. region of Peru. Um, and it's 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 really interesting. The, the whole it's actually a really large city. It's the largest city in the world that is not connected to another city via a road. So uh, if you look at a map of Peru, uh, go to the northeast corner of it, um, you just, you know, you see all this green Amazon, uh, and then you just see this giant concrete blob, and that's Iquitos, just in the middle of the Amazon. Uh, it's it's a city of like 500,000 people, though. So wow. uh, it's a lot. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of people. Um, and originally, I was like, how the hell did people get here? I don't know. That seems, just seems so weird to be just out there. Um, and it's uh, so the only way to get there is via a plane to land in there um, or, you know, originally uh, it was a port town. So it's on the Amazon River. You have to take a boat down the Amazon to get to uh, to Iquitos. Um, so it's it is very developed. They in the actual city there, it's very dusty, very dry because it's concrete, you know, everything. They There's really not much of any kind of you know, plant life or, I mean, there's some places that have like grass, but you know, that's about it, but it's, you know, very manicured. Um, Mm. and you don't get, you know, you don't get like all these nice hiding spots and stuff. So I guess if somebody lived in the, you know, in the actual cities and things like that, I could easily see you not ever finding a a snake or really anything else. Um, other than rats maybe some birds flying through uh insects for sure because they're everywhere uh but um once you get out like once you get out to the amazon like we were hiking around and I, they're still pretty difficult to find um we when we did our transects that you know they were a certain distance so they were 150 meters and you know we would spend depending on <clears throat> like how many organisms we found we would spend maybe about an hour on each transect um and we only found i think we did 72 total transects and we found i want to say it was close to like eight snakes on those transects so during those times so that was a lot of a lot of like man hours spent walking these transects and looking and not finding anything. We obviously did extra hikes and things like that around, and we would find snakes, you know, opportunistically. But um, there, I mean, it's it's super dense. Uh, they hide really well. Uh, a lot of them blend in extremely well too. So uh, I could. It it's it still is weird to me that people are like, oh, I lived in the Amazon and never saw snakes or frogs or right. You know, it's like how but then i guess thinking back to it is like "Ah, maybe so yeah that kind of makes sense (laughs) um when you were when you were doing these surveys were you mainly doing them at at night or early in the morning or when's like the ideal time for looking for stuff like that so uh 
So if you're going just to look uh, for snakes in particular, um, and really frogs, or which are those are going to be like probably the two most common things that you would see, like herpwise that you would see down the Amazon. Um, <clears throat> lizards, obviously, too. Uh, yeah. Nighttime surveys are the best time to go. Um, that's when most of the animals are going to be active, uh, probably just because it's cooler. Um, and it's still molten hot at nighttime. Uh, but the, we did our transects. So we had a, um, we had like really four major times. So we did each, each location we did at 6 AM and 6 PM, 8 AM, 8 PM, 10 AM, 10 PM, 12 AM, 12 PM. So, uh, we tried to get the full, like kind of a full range of times that we would be out. Um, and we were hoping that we were hoping to do that. That way we could do a, like a daytime survey. So we wouldn't be biasing towards the nighttime organisms. Right. So, um, and it, and it works. We, uh, we found a couple of daytime snakes, uh, Spilodes, which is really cool. It's like the South American tiger snake, um, yellow and black, super pretty, uh, pretty feisty. Um, and we found, uh, twice we found, uh, yellow-tailed cribos, uh, which are awesome. I, they're one of my favorites, obviously, cause I worked with indigos here, so they're related. Um, but they're, they're diurnal. So they're much more active in the daytime. So, uh, if we wouldn't have seen them, if we didn't, if we wouldn't have done those surveys. That's one thing that, um, really surprised me when, uh, me and Nate went um, herping, took a herping trip out to Utah with a buddy of ours who used to live out there. And um, we were all over herping was either early in the morning or um, at night. And, uh, you know, one day we were out during the day and stuff in the afternoon when it's getting up to 110, 100, you know, 110 degrees out. Yeah. And we were finding these uh, long-nosed leopard lizards and um, and other stuff like that. And uh, when we first saw one, our friend that lives out in Utah, he's like, like, oh, I've only ever seen like one of those. Those are super rare. But then every day we kept seeing tons of them every day because it turns out they're coming during the afternoon. We just never thought they would, that they were, yeah. uh, that they would be active or he never, you know, and he even told us he didn't think anything would be active that hot and stuff. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what you can find sometimes out and yeah. Right. And it's, um, it, it, it's definitely, you know, usually daytime, there's not going to be as much stuff out, especially in like much warmer places, um, the desert or down in the Amazon. Um, but I do think you get a completely different look of like what that environment looks like in the day. Um, mm -hmm. And obviously a lot, you know, those animals are adapted to survive in those places. So uh, like with the indigo work and the rattlesnakes too, like they're both, active in the daytime they are not really moving around at all at night so um some of the questions i got for my like thesis defense and some of like our papers that we submitted um we're like why did you not do you know nighttime surveys i mean i guess we could have but they're not going to move um with the rattlesnakes especially like probably not the safest thing to do uh to <laughs> walk around at nighttime trying to look for rattlesnakes <laughs> but um yeah, it's cool, right? Get new things. Um, the, uh, the leopard lizards are awesome. Yeah, they're super cool. Um, we we uh, I kept one for a little bit, um, just as you know, I like to observe things that I catch and stuff for a little bit, and I'll let them go, or depending on you know what it is. But yeah, I'll um, um, 
feeding them like crickets and grasshoppers and stuff, just watching them, they like pounce like a panther. It's like like mm -hmm. a leopard, I guess. It's really yeah, it's really cool. Um, they're really cool lizards. Um, but um, so you said you found some bushmasters, right? Yeah, yeah, that was definitely a highlight for me. Um, <clears throat> so in that area, uh, Lakisa's Muta is the the South South American bushmaster. Um, not you know, for those of you that don't know bushmasters, um, they are quite possibly like the coolest of all the snakes. Uh, <laughs> everybody freaks out about them. Um, they there's they they are super cool. Um, they uh, longest viper in the world. They get about 12, 12 ish feet long. Um, they have these huge keeled scales that are just insanely impressive. Um, I've, I had seen pictures of them before and I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, just kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and then you see it up and you see it like in person, and you're like, oh my God, that's amazing. Um, these things, sit, they sit up like cat claws. Like, they're, they're so big off of the scales, off the body. Um, so, the site that we were at uh, is pretty well known for hat. Saying anything is common in the Amazon is like not a good way to go, especially snake wise. Um, but the Bushmaster and the Rainbow Boa was the most common snakes that we saw while we were there that first trip. Uh, and again, over 72 days, uh, we found five and six of, of both. So five Bushmasters, six uh, um, Rainbow Boas. So like common, <laughs> but... You know, Slightly five over, five over 70 days is like not much at all. Um, but we got super lucky. We saw two, no, at Santa Cruz, we saw three babies and babies. I mean, like under two, three feet. And then, uh, we, saw, we got two adults, which were like six and a half feet. They were again, just so insanely impressive. Um, it was so cool. That was definitely a highlight for me uh, because I'd obviously never seen them before. Um, and we got, you know, they were actually on our transects. So we got to tube them, measure them, do all, you know, do all this stuff with it. So got to actually like physically handle it was phenomenal. That's pretty cool. I, yeah. I worked with a Bushmaster at the Kentucky Reptile Zoo, but I, maybe you'll disagree with this. I think you'll probably agree though, but like a captive a captive bred animal and stuff like it's still really cool to see it like physically like in person but i feel mm -hmm. like for whatever reason like the wild ones is just so much cooler like i, I don't know what it is it adds a different element to it that it's yeah so it, it adds that like wild. it adds that kind of like surprise factor because like you know what's going to be in the cage hopefully uh, <laughs> right um but uh in the wild like man uh yeah the the adrenaline when you like walk up on one is just, I mean, just miles above. Uh, it's so cool. Um, so yeah. And I think they, you know, they probably act a little different too. Um, there's, yeah. they were so incredibly docile. Uh, mm. I was kind of surprised. Like we didn't get any, you know, they didn't even like try to like, you know, rattle a tail or like puff up or anything at us. Like they just kind of, they were literally coiled up in the middle of the trail and That's just sitting weird. there like out in the open. Huh. Just just did not care. 
Um, and I guess they were, I guess they were just like getting out of the open wait, waiting for, you know, some kind of food to run by, uh, cause they will utilize those trails too. So, um, I think they just coiled up. We're waiting. Uh, we actually found the, it was really funny. The, the story, we found the two biggest ones in the same night. Um, the student and I were sitting in the, the main room, just kind of like wasting time really just, uh, waiting to do our night survey that night kind of you know kind of organizing our data putting stuff together um playing cards and stuff uh and our cook um charlie had gone down to the river which was like probably like a 30 minute walk um down to the river uh because they had a small tv uh and they were watching uh copa which was the south american soccer cup uh and peru was in it they made it to the finals that year um and they just got obliterated by brazil which you know is expected um they were they were like well we made it we figured that was gonna happen uh but so uh charlie had come back and then uh we were just like again just chilling in the room uh and charlie comes in and he 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 didn't speak spanish or he he didn't speak english very well um and i didn't speak spanish very well so we were pretty evened out um so uh he he got there and he was like oh hey like shashupe which is the local name for a bushmaster um and we're like oh cool like and he's like oh it's it's like there's one right over here so we're like freaking out super frantic we're like throwing stuff together we're trying to like grab grab our hooks grab our tubes grab our bags like everything and then we just start sprinting following charlie into the woods um having no idea how far away this is uh if we're gonna be able to sprint for 30 minutes uh and so we finally get to the spot and the there's another guy that worked there that was just absolutely terrified of snakes so this poor guy charlie made him stand nearby the snake and just like watch him and make sure that if it moved that we would be able to know where it went to so this poor guy (laughs) up on a hill watching down and like he's like it's way over there like go 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 um so um so we go up there we get to we get to tube him. We take him back because we're going to take some pictures in the morning uh, and get some better measurements and stuff like that. Um, And so we bring it back to the station. We put him into like this big trash can and kind of like with locked lids and things like that. Um, And, you know, then we're like, all right, we still have three more hours till our next transect. I think we were doing a midnight one that night. And um, Charlie goes back out. I think they went back down to this to the station to watch more soccer. and you know maybe an hour later charlie comes back in very very relaxed uh and he's like oh and we're like yeah 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 like the shushupe is in you know in the trash can and um trying to like convey that it's locked up and safe yeah and he's like he goes no no another and we're like another one so we're like oh my god so the whole frantic like mishaps again so we're like throwing everything together and then we sprint out and it was like 20 yards away from the main entrance to the trail uh it was just like right there and we're like oh my gosh this is so crazy uh and that's probably that man if i showed you a picture of a bushmaster that's probably the one i showed you um and it but it was both of them were about six to six and a half feet they were pretty big and just like massive i have this picture of the first time i picked it up and i just looked shell-shocked it was wild does it doesn't (laughs) it doesn't feel like a normal snake no yeah but not that's that's awesome yeah it was oh it was so cool 
Other than the uh, other than the Bushmaster, what was um, what would you say was the coolest thing you found out there? Do you find any unique like amphibians, like frogs or anything like that? Yeah, so uh, the frogs are again also fantastic. Um, the diversity is mind blowing. Uh, there's uh, we found so the first trip we made again that. 72 days uh we had over our transects we had um around 900 individuals that we captured so our surveys were basically just like walk down if we see an amphibian or a reptile nearby like grab it identify it take measurements uh and then release it there um some of them we did bring back to the station uh because the station also wanted us to take some photos of them um because there's no good ids down there just because the biodiversity is so wild um it's very difficult to identify a lot of these things because there's just it's very regional for the uh for the field guides and so we you know we had to we had to pull guides from like eastern ecuador um, southern colombia um, east or western brazil like all over the place uh, to try to figure out like, especially these frogs, the snakes were pretty easy. Uh, the frogs, the pristamantis, which are like these little tiny, uh, little rain frogs. Um, they, there's like 400 species in the genus and they all look exactly the same. Um, yeah. So it was quite, quite frustrating trying to identify all these. And they are, a lot of them had like recently, um, hatched and so they were just super super tiny and like i don't know so we had to take tons and tons of photos and we spent several months after we got back uh really trying to identify the frogs and stuff um i i think the pristamantis is a really cool genus it's a really interesting group um they uh i believe all of them have direct development so they don't have mm -hmm. a tadpole stage they just have they just hatch from the egg um and is because there, they are hmm? no i should say um is is that are there is there are there eggs so like typically like when something goes to like a metamorphosis usually their eggs are smaller so they're not able to do the full development in the egg right mm -hmm. like um is their egg larger or do they have like a larger yolk or what like how are they able to go into direct you know uh, that I don't know. Um, they they're Eleutherodactylans, uh, so they are closely related to like the greenhouse frogs that we have here. Uh, that are invasive. They're from I think they're from Puerto Rico uh, and some of the Caribbean islands. Um, they also have direct development. Um, I I could not tell you egg concentrations and whatever else for yeah. that. Um, but they uh, I know the adults. <laughs> um but yeah no the i mean the eggs are so yeah so it was really cool because they they so they started off super super small um, right and i think that because uh, we had a lot of rain that time too and i think that uh part of that rain may signal to the eggs to to hatch um <clears throat> they've seen that in some of the frog uh frog eggs i think a lot of the um glass frogs up in like panama costa rica uh near the cloud forest um will you know hatch early based off like a pred like a predator defense like you've seen that you might have seen the videos of like a snake coming up and 
um, the movement of the snake kind of like poking at the eggs that are hanging on the leaf uh, will cause the tadpole, if it's at a large enough stage, it'll jump out of the egg and then fall out and not get eaten and hope that it can survive. Uh, so I think maybe the rain could have triggered egg hatching events. That, that again, that's just a, a complete guess, total hypothesis, but there were so many little tiny frogs. Um, I did really like the uh, Ranella uh, margaritiferas. Uh, I think they're called crested toads. I'm really bad with the common names down there because we basically were just learning Latin names and also the local people had local names for all right. of the animals. So, uh, <laughs> so like Latin names are way easier to, to deal with. Um, but Ranella, Ranella margaritifera, they had these like huge uh, crests on the side of their heads. They're related to, you know, Ranella marina. So related to the cane toads we have here um, that are invasive, but um, they have these just massive arches above their heads uh on both sides it's really cool um they look like they have these huge horns um and they were just like cool intimidating looking toads yeah. um they had cane toads but they're native so that was interesting um right in florida all the time right you're like oh cane toads like there they are again um but then we saw them in saw them in peru and we we're like oh cane toads we we're like oh wait no they're supposed to be here that's cool okay <laughs> right <laughs> like oh okay that's fine yeah um <laughs> um the i'm trying to think of some other there's some really pretty um lots of like green with red or yellow or white spots uh of the, some of those like hyla frogs um we did see a few of the the poison darts or the dart frogs uh, or the poison frogs. Um, they were, so they were very cool. Uh, Renanamaya was the one we took a trip, <clears throat> like a vacation trip to this town called Terrapoto, uh, which is about two hours West of Iquitos, um, kind of in the, in the, uh, the foothills of the, uh, of the Andes mountains. Um, <clears throat> and, that place is well known for the birding and for poison dart frogs. So we got to see a ton. There's some that are massive, like the size of your hand, uh, which I didn't know they got that big, but uh, there's a few of them, like, green and black ones. They're like huge. Um, <clears throat> and we saw, I think we saw like six or seven different species while we were there in like the four or five days that we were in Terrapoto. Um, yeah, it was awesome. We, uh, we did just get funding to go back. Uh, so I'll be going down mid-May through mid-July. So That's two more awesome. two more months. Yeah, super excited. Uh, one of the grad students uh, is, we're going down basically for her project. Uh, we're not focusing on herps. Um, I will be just kind of on the side. Um, but uh, her work is going to be looking at the mammals. Uh, we're putting up game cameras uh, and flying a drone that's heat sensing. So uh, hoping to see like monkeys uh, up in the canopy. Um, and we're also doing some fish traps. So that'll be interesting, too, because the fish are also crazy diverse in the Amazon. It's the Amazon, right? That actually, even though that's not herbs, that actually sounds really cool too. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm I'm excited about it. Um, I've done a little bit of fish sampling uh, before, and um, the camera traps are 
pretty easy because you just put cameras up and figure out what they are. Uh, we yes. we did like a test run this last trip. We went in December, January and um, was really hoping for a Jaguar, uh, but did not get one. Uh, but we got uh, <clears throat> ocelots, a couple ocelots on there. Uh, we got a Jaguarundi, which was awesome. Um, on like that. on like a main trail, too, that's super busy um, in the middle of the day, which was weird. Um, and, and we got a, a Tyra, which I had never heard of. Uh, it's a, I want to say they're related to like, it's like a weasel dog, big cat thing. Okay. <laughs> Descriptive. Uh, you can tell, you can tell I'm not a mammologist. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but it was it was pretty cool i mean it looked like it was really funny because we it's a it's a really dark it's it's fairly small but it's i mean it's like a small dog size like maybe like a i think like a beagle um about that about that height um but our camera trap takes three photos each time it would be triggered so the first the first picture we're like oh that's a dog because you could see like the head hanging down and then it steps out and we're like no maybe that's a cat and then the third photo we're like that that looks like a weasel and so we were like i have absolutely no idea where to even start with looking at this thing like it's definitely a mammal but that's about as far as i can go <laughs> right <laughs> right <laughs> um so that but that was cool i was like i have no idea what that is so hoping hoping to see a jaguar that's the that's the goal for me have you seen a have you seen a panther down here yet i haven't seen one i've been super lucky i've seen two in the nine years that i've been here yeah um the first one i saw was at the bird rookery swamp uh at corkscrew yeah uh definitely it was like right it was it was right at the cypress dome at the parking lot Um, it was also like 2 a.m. Um, mm, okay. Most people are not going to be there. Uh, I was out there for a uh, a herpetology blitz, uh, like a bio blitz that they were doing. This was several years ago. Um, I was just, I was still a grad student, and I think because we were like the younger ones going, they put us at like the 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. group. So uh, I was like, that's fine. That's when I'm awake anyway. So uh, me and another student in our class that went uh, and we did we did our surveys uh, during the four hour time. And then we're leaving. We're like, hey, let's drive over to the bird rookery and just like see if the gates open. Um, and I may be telling on myself, I don't know if it's supposed to be open, but it was. So we parked in the parking lot. Then uh, I was I was kind of pointing out like I was like, oh, you can see like the, the eye shine from the gators. And I was like, man, there's one back there in the Cypress Dome that's like it's huge it's like standing up and walking i was like well that's crazy um and then kind of like got the light at a perfect angle between the cypress trees and then saw that it was a big cat so like i'm like freaking out running up and down trying to get a better view of it and then got to a spot and could see the actual like the long tail so like confirmed it was a panther it was so cool and then i uh (laughs) the last one that i saw was out in the picayune um and I was working for FWC. Um, I work well, I guess FWRI, which is like the research branch of FWC. And I, uh, I was working with an endangered species of bat, the bonneted bat. Uh, I don't know much of anything about bats, but they 
knew I knew how to do telemetry and they I knew the area really, really well. So they were like, yeah, we'll hire you to do this. So uh, I was waiting for my boss to pick me up. I just started like maybe two weeks in and uh, my the truck they gave me couldn't go through like the deep water. So I was waiting for yeah. my boss to pick us up. Um, <clears throat> so I'm just like standing on a bridge, just like watching gators and like the uh, the plecos swim around. <laughs> um, just millions of them out there. Um, and, uh, I, I heard a caterwaul, so it, I had to look this up cause I didn't know this was a thing, but it's just a weird sound that cats will make. Um, and I heard it and you're like, you hear it and you're like, that's a cat for sure. Uh, but I figured it wasn't a domestic cat out there. So I was like, well, it's either a bobcat or a panther and that's cool either way. So, um, I got to the middle of the bridge just to like get a better angle at stuff. And then a couple minutes later, this panther just walks out like probably about 40 yards away from me um, and stands at the end of the bridge and just stares at me for, it seemed like five minutes, but it was probably about four seconds. Um, <laughs> right. but it was awesome. I was like freaking out, trying to take photos. Uh, my boss kept calling me because she thought I was at a different bridge. And so I'm like, hanging up on her because she's call, like calling as I'm trying to get photos and trying to, you know, <laughs> like zoom in on this thing. And I was like, Oh man, I'm gonna get fired, but this is worth it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so eventually, you know, eventually it walks into the woods and then I call her back and I'm like, I am really sorry, but uh, I, there's a panther in front of me. She was like, no way. Like, where are you? I'm coming to the bridge like right now. And I was like, Oh, I can't promise it's still here, but you can try like, come on over. <laughs> Uh, but also, please pick me up. I'm just in the middle of the picky and strand by myself. <laughs> a couple of um, weekends ago, a couple of weekends ago, I thought I, I heard you mentioned the crazy cat call. I heard this crazy cat noise, some sort of big cat. It was like it either had to have been like a bear attacking a panther or a bobcat or a skunk ape. Like it, <laughs> it was super bizarre. I was out. Um, where was I at? I was out at um, Spirit of Wilderness, uh, but it yeah, wasn't yeah, there. Yeah. It was the, the other place, the Oki. Okay, Slew? Yes. That's, uh, yeah. Oh, uh, it's like Okalakuchi? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was over there. And um, I was walking this trail and I was kind of going through the br I went off the trail. I was walking through the brush. I thought I saw a snake. Um, it turned out it wasn't a snake. Um, but I stepped on a, I stepped on like this tree that was like this thin tree and it made this large crack and probably five feet from me there's like really thick brush and something was in that something huge was in that and just ran away I thought it was a bear because of how heavy it sounded but it just ran mm -hmm. like launched itself into the really thick brush I didn't get to see it but I heard it it's like well that's weird I kept walking oh. and then I, I came back and when I circled back and got to the same spot I heard this really loud cat like like it sounded like a cat being attacked or like you know how like cats when they like that like a, noise? Yeah, yeah 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 i i bet that's the same i bet that's a caterwaul i bet that's the same sound probably that's what i'm thinking it, so yeah it makes this, it's making this really loud that sound it's this yeah. weird sound and you don't want to mimic like, it yeah yeah, yeah. it's like <laughs> no nah, i can't do it <laughs> but um but yeah and then so i sat there and that was pretty close too but there's a bunch of thick brush there also got like it was like a really deep swamp kind of right there too 
Um, and um, so I couldn't see it, but I was holding up my phone trying to record it. Unfortunately, it was a phone I was borrowing because my phone had broke and um, it didn't record audio very well. So I couldn't get the audio of it. But while I was sitting there recording, and then they're like five feet in front of me, I thought I heard some bear grunting and stuff. And then it kind of sounded like it was getting further. So I don't know if that was relate, if they were, if that had anything to do with anything, but it was super, super weird. Cool though. Yeah. Uh, yes. I, yeah, I would, I mean, out there, I know that they have them. Um, like I think bears are probably way more common out there. Uh, my yeah. old roommate is, it was the biologist for them, uh, for okay. Slew. uh, <clears throat> and I think they, they had a ton of bears. I know that. Uh, and I, I, they've definitely seen panthers out there too, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. That'd be cool. Um, I, yeah, I miss like, I haven't been out in like not doing like out in the, I don't know. It's weird. Right. Cause you're like, yeah, I'm like <clears throat> doing all this research. I'm outside all the time. And I'm like, but I'm like trying to get to a thing, check it, get back in, check it, go back in, check it. Right. Uh, and I'm like, man, I haven't been like out, out in a while like just wander through the swamp (laughs) right (laughs) which is the fun part right right that's what it was really nice because doing a lot of like the kayak tours and stuff i would um you know so you're seeing stuff every day but i mean just like you're saying like until you're out out so wednesday because of the high winds i didn't do any tours and stuff so i went out in the everglades and just did kayaking and looking around and stuff and i didn't i don't even though you're kind of doing the same thing and you're still like doing a lot of like kayaking and that kind of stuff it was so much more it was so relaxing like it was like it was decompressing for me yeah and, right like you're you're like i'm doing the exact same thing that i'm normally doing but it's not like as a job right, right. and so it's like right. you're like oh this is like very relaxing i mean I, I you know i think doing like the kayak tours and going out and tracking rattlesnakes and whatever else like is is also relaxing like i enjoy it a lot but it's like you get done you're like oh i'm tired um but you don't get that like same i guess you don't get that like high from just being like yeah i can go wherever i want to go you don't have to take a crew of eight people that have never kayaked before with you (laughs) yeah that's the other thing too you're always you're trying to herd cats around and (laughs) yeah yeah sure you're like come on yeah that's why i was i was really worried the other day because we the wind was pretty bad and the uh Luckily, the people that I had on on the tour that day were like experts. So I was like, "Oh, thank oh, God!" Yeah. So we could actually like we actually went really really far because they were like, you know, you know. So like normally you like you know kind of paddle up and then you like look back and you kind of like wait for everybody to catch up to you and then you right. keep moving. Um, I turned around and they were all like directly behind me and I was like, "Oh, oh, hi!" Uh, <laughs> I expected y'all to be like way further back, uh, but all right. I did that too. I was coming through one of the tunnels and I was kind of just slowly floating, just looking around and I turned back and they're all just right there. I was like, Oh, okay. Oh, we could find go. And they're probably yeah. like, what is this guy doing? <laughs> <laughs> right. It's weird when you, cause you're like, you expect like, you know, at least somebody has like, hasn't kayaked before or it's just very, it's just slower. Um, yeah. Which is fine, but you're like, don't expect them to be on top of you. Yeah. Or I was uh I was annoyed when um someone's like really slow, but you're also trying to, you know, pick up the pace a little bit. Um, but every time you stop paddling, they stop paddling. It's like 
no, yeah. I'm stopping paddling so you can catch up. So you can catch up to me, yeah. Like, that doesn't mean you also take a break. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so it's fun though. Yeah, um, I enjoy it a lot. So uh, tell me a little bit more about your research that you do with uh, the um, indigo snakes. That's really cool. Uh, yes, they are very, very cool. Uh, so we were kind of doing the same stuff that we were doing with the rattlesnakes. Now, uh, we're looking at, we're, do, we're using radio telemetry to track where they were moving, um, throughout the reserve. It was on the upland areas. So it was along shell Island. Um, not a lot. It took me a year and a half to find the first indigo snake, um, which is a long time. I was very worried about graduating because uh, i <laughs> didn't have a project so uh luckily uh we uh we worked pretty closely with uh the python guys so there's tra they're tracking burmese pythons out there as well and so uh one morning uh when the python guys had found an indigo snake and called us was like hey do you want do you want this snake um and i was like oh dear god yes please um <laughs> We had, uh, we actually, we, I had just talked to my advisor like the day before, maybe the week before about maybe giving up on that side and trying to move somewhere else and like find another spot. Um, and we were kind of like, yeah, you know, it's been, you know, it's been a while, so we should start looking elsewhere. Um, yeah. and then they found that and I was like, of course, like now, as soon as we started being like, no, nah, we're not going to go there. They were like, right. here I am. So uh, it worked really well. The first one was a female. So we put a tracker in her uh, and um, she did her job. Uh, boys came to her. So uh, shortly after, maybe a month after we released her, uh, we caught four more males that were nearby her. Um, and over, I'd say over like probably four months. Um, and uh, the trackers in them, one of them, one of the males died. Fairly early, it was like a couple months after we put the tracker in. Um, we found him when he was he was like too decomposed to send him off for anything, um, or to really tell how he died. But he was like kind of like in a burrow a little bit. Um, so I don't know. Um, I personally think that he got beat up by another male because um, they they will do male male combat, um, and there are some big indigo snakes that we were already tracking. And he was pretty tiny uh, comparatively, uh, and he was in the same area as those big those big boys. So I I think he got beat up and then just couldn't recuperate from it. Um, and that just happens, right? But uh, the other the other four uh, three males, one female um, survived for another year and a half, and then we took the transmitters out, um, and then they were presumably alive hopefully still um the female, the female definitely uh she definitely laid eggs at some point um she was hanging out near a bunch of burrows at one point and like wasn't moving for a while and so uh i was like trying to find it was just really thick scrub so i was really trying to find like where she had dropped her eggs um i don't know what i would have done with it other than like try to scare away every raccoon um getting over there uh but uh i found her like maybe like you know like two days later i went out to track and she had moved pretty far away from where she had been for a while and so when i saw her i was like well let me pick her up and just make sure she's all right 
because uh, normally we try to not touch them just because you don't want to mess with the behavior and we're trying to see like you know you know untouched like where are they moving how they you know with, without being bothered so uh but i picked her up and she had she was just like loose she had so much like loose skin and stuff and i was like she had to have dropped eggs so um mm -hmm. i've been looking for a little baby and it goes out there but you know hard to find um but i mean they're they're not very common uh and they're pretty cryptic they hide really really well uh they're very active they're very aware um so it was really weird because I was tracking indigos and rattlesnakes at the same time. So I would go to Rookery Bay, track the indigo snakes. And when you track the indigos, like if you get a signal, you basically have to like start sprinting in that direction because they are moving really quick. Um, and like, you know, they'll move really quick, but then they'll just dip down into a burrow or something like that. So I wanted to try to see if I could get a visual on them beforehand, like if they're above ground, if they're below ground, whatever. Um, and then I would leave, I would leave Rookery Bay from like running through the woods, chasing indigo snakes and then go to campus and work and track rattlesnakes. And that is not what you do when you track rattlesnakes. So it was very, very different. I had to constantly be like, nope, these are rattlesnakes. Don't take a step back. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't just start sprinting through. Cause they could just be coiled up just right there and you just can't see them. Um, multiple times I was like man, I'm like at the lowest possible gain. Like I got to be within like five to 10 feet. Like, where is this thing? And then I look down, I'm like, oh man, it's like right by my feet. Like, oh God, <laughs> uh, it'd be nice if they rattled. Um, let me know that they were there, but right. they're, again, they're also quite docile. They just want to blend in and not be seen. We're way too big for anything. You know, we're not food. So um, we're just kind of an annoyance to them. <laughs> That's what I don't know. I, whenever I, I see them, I'm always like, oh, you hate me. But, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew someone who did their master's work with telemetry of timbers. And uh, nice, yeah. yeah, she said the same thing. You know, the thing saying it's like a couple feet from her. There's like five of them, like, <laughs> like a couple feet from them. And they're like, where? where? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, where exactly? Like, is? like Cause there's, you know, they could be hiding in a, you know, in a hollow, uh, they could be under burrow. They could be under, under palm frond, uh, like, and, and you're just like, man, they, cause they can like squeeze themselves into the smallest little spaces and you just don't know yeah. where they are. Um, I, I grew up in the, up in Georgia, right at the, the base of the mountain, like not really at the base of the mountains, but not almost in the mountains of Georgia. So we didn't really get any timbers. If I went into the mountains more, um, but I never saw any. So when I was in Kentucky, that was like my one thing is I really wanted to see a wild timber. I went looking for them all the time and I never saw one. And I'd have guests come into like the reptile zoo and stuff when I was working there and be like, oh yeah, we just saw one over here. I was like, I was just there. <laughs> <laughs> so I never saw, I was super mad about that, but yeah. <laughs> <we can do. laughs> um, yeah, the timbers are cool too. The, uh, when I worked at North Alabama, we we had them every once in a while. I think we only caught maybe two in the box trap. Um, and every once in a while, you'd see one like crossing the road, but not not super common. And copperheads were a dime a dozen. Yeah. Um, I I still love them a lot. I think they're cool. Um, yeah, you got to like timbers are weird because I feel like you have to find out where their hibernacula is and yeah. be like, OK, cool. They're here. You probably pass them all the time. Oh, I'm just for sure. 
yeah and just don't and just don't see them um which is also like i think about that all the time when i'm like hiking around i'm like i'm probably passing a rattlesnake right now i just have no idea where it is um, i don't know kind I of similar... think about it just i try not to think about it just <laughs> i don't yeah know, yeah because i'm like oh i'm missing i'm missing something cool yeah, uh yeah. kind of same thing with like i had the same issue down here with uh coral snakes i have i've i'm gonna say i've seen half a coral snake here uh the my advisor got called because somebody was trying somebody had called a coral snake and was trying to sell it um which is illegal um and so they were like oh like dr herman has permits for these so he's gonna take it and then we released it somewhere so i got to like hold it in the tube and like see it up close and stuff which was cool, cool. Yeah. um and then we then we released it um but that I have never seen a coral snake here in well, I've never seen a coral snake in the US. Now, did you see any in in Peru when you're over there? Yeah. Um now the, we, the banding switched it switches below the equator, right? So the the like red on yellow um yeah, yeah. rhyme only works for southeast US, like sometimes um it's still not like a hundred percent but it's you know not a terrible rhyme to go with um i think of like a stoplight like red and yellow are the caution colors uh because i've heard people just completely butcher the rhyme they're like yeah, black man. on yellow and i'm like nope no 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, like no i mean they got the colors in there but there's you know they mix up the three yeah. colors uh, to the wrong right. thing uh, but yeah, if you go in, outside of the Southeast U.S., like the color combinations don't match up at all. Um, there was uh, usually they're usually they're kind of like they're like red and black. Um, lots of like red and black and white, like striped ones. Um, there's a few that are black and white. There's a few that are like red and white. Um, there's one species, Langsdorfi, that's that's at this station that we stayed at that we didn't get to find, but really, really tried to. Um, and it is kind of like bigger, chunkier stripes on it. Um, and it is like neon pink and neon yellow. Super, super cool. I wanted to find yeah. one so incredibly bad, but didn't see it. Um, we found one, two, three, I think four different species of corals down there. Most common one was uh, the aquatic coral, um, which gets like pretty chunky. Um, and they get like they can almost, they can get around five feet long, so really big. Um, duh, I mean, it looks like a coral if you see a picture of it, but then you see it in person, and you're just you're just assuming corals are small, skinny like shoelace snakes, yeah. and and they're not. They're 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 fat. They're chunky. They're I mean, they still look like the corals, but they're like, you're like, oh my God, that's one on steroids. It's huge. <laughs> um, it's so big. Uh, and it, so that was, that was cool. We saw, we found a couple of those because um, it's just the water was so high. Um, the first time we were there, the second time it was so dry. We didn't find any aquatic snakes basically. Um, but we did find Philoformis uh, and uh him preachy, which I don't know if that means anything to anybody, but those are the macrurus whatevers. Uh, I have no idea what their common names are. So not uh Naka Nakas are the local name for coral snakes in Peru. So they were that was fun to 
<laughs> it's way more fun to say Naka Naka than Coral Snake. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> the um the Brazilian guy I mentioned earlier, he he talked he I mentioned the how the banding can be different and stuff, the coloration. And he's like, Oh, I wondered about that because I was always taught the opposite, you know, the, the rhyme, except it's completely opposite of what he was taught. And he's like, oh. and so when I came here, and he's like, he's like, because his dad was a fisherman, and I guess that you know it's the whole you know thing. And so yeah, when he's like, when he came here, everyone kept telling me I had it wrong, I had it backwards. I was like, no, that's not. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, I could kind of see that though, because like a lot of those corals are red and black, and because mm, like <clears throat> the again the guides for those were you yeah. know read the triads, and it's like there's like a there's like a group of patterns on it that you like of stripes that you're like okay there's you know 11 triads on this one and 13 on this one right. um and there's but there's so many coral mimics too down there they mm -hmm. are really good men um yeah, yeah yeah okay so there we go uh, our our guide was uh taking us around and we would find you know when we first got there we kind of had an idea of mainly the venomous ones right we're like most of the non-venomous ones like you can sort of tell if you're you know if you're if you're well aware of snakes and stuff like that mm -hmm. like you can usually see like okay like i know this rainbow bow is not venomous but it's got big teeth um but uh the corals and the vipers a little bit different vipers were easy there's like four that were there mm -hmm. um and uh then you know the corals are the are the weird ones that you got to really be careful of um so because they just look so you know convincing for other ones so uh every time we'd see a snake and it had like a little bit of red on it or like maybe some sort of stripes we're like hmm um <laughs> like uh, we're like because you're kind of like you're like oh you don't want to lose it and you want to like go jump on it but then you're like i'm three to four hours away from the nearest peruvian hospital um right on amazon so probably not the safest bet so you're like uh is it is it and so uh whenever we'd have our guy with us he there's a couple of times we saw the some really good mimics and he's like um yeah it was like oh i think he's like no 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 that one that one's the mimic that one's the mimic and i'm like are you sure <laughs> like uh like the lack of a quick I, answer i don't want to pick it up I was like, I don't want to pick it up and risk it. And like the student doesn't want to pick it up and risk it. And then he's like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. I'm like, I also don't want to have to, if he's like, oh, oops, I misidentified it. Like, I also right. don't want to have to be like, let me take you back like at nighttime into the city. Because uh, I don't know how to be like, um, like El Hospital. Like, let's go. Like, I don't know. <laughs> uh, like yeah <laughs> i don't know where to go like what to do so are there, um, are there hospitals pretty like modern over there or? um so if you go to like lima uh lima is very developed it's it's pretty much miami um okay. i didn't get to spend a, i didn't get to spend a lot of time in, in lima um so i can't talk too much about it uh Iquitos is a pretty old city and it's there's no like it's at least the parts that i saw and i'm pretty sure we drove around accidentally through the whole entire city um it, there's no like skyscrapers or anything like that it's a pretty touristy town um lots of people go there for the amazon um or for ayahuasca so it's a very popular ayahuasca destination which is a hallucinogenic um that the people like you drink a juice thing 
yeah, um, yeah. with a shaman. Um, and uh, but it's it. They had a really Peru had actually for like the COVID uh, pandemic. They actually had one of the highest death tolls in the world. Uh, and it's their their infrastructure was just not set up for that. Do they have uh, an older our, population too? Do what? Do they have an older population too, or is it it just the infrastructure? Uh, it, not really. It was just uh, um, it was just. I mean, I think also with like the heat, it's uh, yeah, it's pretty rough. Um. And uh, they did a, they were pretty strict with their lockdowns. Uh, like I know at one point they weren't allowed to even take boats out onto the river, which is like how everybody moves around in Iquitos and surrounding like communities. But they, uh, um, they had such a high infection rate uh, because they, I think it's like 55% of people that live in Peru don't have a refrigerator in their house. Wow. So most, uh, you know, most everyone is going to have to, you know, if you, again, the big cities probably are fine. They're going to have stuff. Um, but most, you know, most people, are, most people, they, they go to the market every single day and get their lunch, get their dinner, you know, get their food there. Um, and they also take their food and stuff to sell there. So, uh, they, they, you pretty much have to go to market every day. I think they tried to do some shutdowns of like, certain people you can go like Mondays and Thursdays and then other people go like Tuesdays and Fridays. So they try to like limit how many people are out. Um, but they had just a really high death toll. I think Iquitos lost around like two or 3% of their population, um, which was big. Yeah. Uh, they said that, uh, you know, a lot of the, cause especially because it is so isolated too, they, you know, to get any sort of like PPE and stuff to the, to the city, it has to be flown in um and corruption and getting stuff traveling to different places it stuff's going to get lost or taken or something like that and yeah. so um a lot of times like shipments didn't make it down there or um they just had like crumbling infrastructure that they can't hold this so a lot of times they said that uh you know they would go by and the, the death toll in Iquitos especially was probably much higher um it just wasn't recorded uh which is sad but the, uh, they said that, you know, they would go by and like, they would go by houses and you would, they would see like a dead body in the house. Um, and it's, they, they bury their dead pretty quickly. Um, just because it is so intensely hot and humid right. and you obviously don't want that sitting around. So, um, probably a lot of those, and especially out in like the communities probably did not, uh, did not fare too well. We had uh, two people that worked with us, uh, Project Amazonas, that passed away from COVID. Um, they were older, uh, but um, they lived in Iquitos, uh, or in not in Iquitos, but like right outside of Iquitos. So they had uh, limited access to like medical facilities and things like that too. So, mm. um, so sad. Um, they did open up uh, somewhat, and it's and especially crazy too because like. A lot of it, I mean, basically all of the ketos is based, like all of their economy is based off tourism. So when you have a shutdown like that, you, you don't have any money pouring in at all. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the communities that live out there, like probably don't really need it because they, you know, they, they literally go out and hunt game out in the woods. They go fish uh, and for their food, like all your sustenance is pretty much there. Um, you know, you don't, you know, maybe tough to, you know, you can't watch TV. Um, but 
a lot of them don't even have TVs. So um, it was a pretty going back a second time uh, in December and January uh, was pretty eye opening because it was a very different look and different feel than the first time that we went uh, because it had changed so dramatically between yeah. 2019 to 2021, 2022. So that's crazy. It's, yeah. Yeah. yeah it, was, of, it was it was interesting. Right. Kind of puts in perspective uh, some of the stuff we had to go through like here as opposed to, you know, yeah, what they had to go through over there, you know. Yeah, and it was the Project Amazonas did a great job of keeping us updated. Mm -hmm. So they, uh, I mean, because some of the people that um, work for Project Amazonas like are not from Peru, and so they like some of them like one of the guys lives in uh, Miami, um, and so like he goes down three four times a year to Peru for a couple you know a couple weeks or a month or so um he obviously wasn't able to go back and so we had but we had a lot of like communication between all of them and we weren't even i guess we got funding to go back in 2020 for summer but obviously covid messed that up so um we were hoping that that funding would get rolled over but we weren't 100 percent sure so you know we were still like we're not sure if we're going to be able to go back but we're you know you spend two months literally every single day with these people uh so you're pretty good friends at that point so you're one of trying to keep up with you know what's going on there and it's hard to do that when you're pretty disconnected from you know everywhere in the world yeah i can i mean just as a kid when you go to a camp for a week you know you meet strangers and you become really good friends just from a week so spending every day two months or so and yeah I can definitely, definitely yeah, say it was yeah it was a uh, yeah two months is it really is like summer camp um <laughs> uh, the, the something i was kind of surprised about down there was the like peru in the amazon at least was it i was expecting florida temperatures i was like that's just fine um it is way hotter and way more humid than florida is in the wow. summertime it's hard to um, imagine. It, it's hard to beat yeah uh so um First like week, I was like, I don't know if I can do this because it was just so incredibly hot, and there's no way to cool off um, what, at the, at the what station. Are the, what are like the high temperatures during the summer like? Uh, so where we were, um, so they're they're also below the equator, so their seasons are reversed, but it's still okay. it's still basically the equator, so it's the same. Uh, the first time I went, it was I think the average temperature was around like 92 to 94. Um, but humidity, which is like not, I mean, it's hot, but that's not right. insane. Right. Right. Um, but, uh, the humidity stayed at like 90 plus the entire Jeez. time. Yeah. Um, and like, again, the hardest part was there's no way to cool down. So you get done yeah. doing a hike in the middle of the day, you come back to the station and you're like, there's no AC um we have water uh the water was like filtered it was rainwater that was filtered through um but the water the drinking water was room temperature so 90 degrees uh uh which is not very cooling um the shower water though we did have a shower uh and it was water it was pumped in from this pond that they created and that that water was freezing cold so insanely cold and it was like uncomfortably cold oh, okay um, so it's like i would try to like fill up i'd go and like fill up um like a bucket with 
the shower water and then take it to my, I had like a little, they called them tumbos. It's a little hut. Um, and I would take my water to my tumbo and then I would take like a, a porch shower and I would like bathe myself on the porch. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I was like, it'll at least like warm up a little bit on the way over there. Um, and I'm not like an ice cube after, and, and you're like, your body temperature is so hot cause you're, you've been hiking around and stuff and you're like, this is not comfortable. Um, everything was wet all the time. That was, uh, something that you got to get over pretty quick down there. I feel like that's like Orlando. Like everyone likes to go to Orlando, but there's not really like anywhere. I mean, there's more of a place where you can cool off and stuff, but yeah, there's no breeze. Like you get on the coast and stuff and yeah not as much yeah good stuff. <laughs> yeah so. and, and orlando is like pretty concrete too so like there's a lot of yeah. there's a lot more heat it was uh and I, one thing i will say though it was i have never been anywhere buggier than like rookery bay <laughs> like on the upland <laughs> areas like the, yeah, yeah, like yeah. the amazon like we had you know we had mosquitoes and stuff and i mean ants i've never seen so many ants in my life oh my gosh so many ants and you just have bug bites on you all the time. Um, but mosquitoes, not that bad. They were, you know, they were there, but, um, you know, at sun, sunrise and then sunset, they start, you know, they would come out. But then they'd be there for an hour. And so you could like find ways to get around it. They had like little, they had like little burner coils that you could light and they would clear the room of mosquitoes. Um, and then, and then you're really fine. They were like not really a nuisance. Granted, you know, their mosquitoes also carry, you know, malaria and dengue yeah. fever and things like that. So um, they carry a few more dangerous things than ours do, but um, not nearly as annoying, which was That's crazy, which was nice. Right. And I was that was very shocking to me when we were down there. Yeah, because I was like, like when I picked the trip to the Everglades, I mean, one of the reasons is because I could. But also March is a good time because there's usually not nearly as many mosquitoes. But in yeah. May you have to completely cover your whole body. Otherwise you're just getting wrecked. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's bad in summertime. Uh, yeah. in, in like the Everglades, those, those mosquitoes, the mangrove mosquitoes are gnarly. I, got, uh, I, have, I have stains on my roof of my car from camping in the Everglades <laughs> in my car. And you just from, opening the door and shutting it you got all these mosquitoes and you're just swatting yep, them out like, of your car yeah smacking them all yeah yep. <laughs> i have stains on the roof of my car I, my friend came over from he lives in south carolina and he came down and visited for a week and he's like we drove in the garden he's like what's all over your ceiling yeah i was like those are mosquito stains yeah mosquitoes <laughs> and blood uh yeah <laughs> you just gotta yeah you gotta like uh, whenever like go looking for pythons or whatever, um, night cruising, uh, through the Everglades and you'll get, you know, all the mosquitoes in you just like, just the, the move of like, you know, you do it like just unconsciously or, you know, now, cause you're just like, oh yeah, just do this. And you just like, just slide your hand across the top and it's just like crushing all the mosquitoes that are up there while yeah, you're yeah. going, just like just sliding your hand back and forth. Oh, no, none uh, of that down there, which was nice. And if you go into the city, like Iquitos doesn't have any mosquitoes because there is really nowhere for mosquitoes to live because it's all concrete. <laughs> That's super bizarre. I just would have expected mosquitoes to be like super bad out there. And, yeah. Um, no, no seams uh, either, I guess. Uh, they they do have no seams, um, but they're, they're also, we had them this last trip, 
So the first trip when we took in May to August, we didn't really get the no CMs. This last trip we took, uh, it was actually way drier. Um, the last two weeks we were there, it did not rain, uh, which is very weird because it's the rainforest. Um, yeah. But the it was there. It's kind of like the drier season, um, and we actually had to alter our trips to come back because the spot where we would have hopped onto the boat to get to the town called Masan and then hop on another boat to get to Iquitos, um, the original that will actually both of those launches were mud because that the water had dried up, um, and so we had to go a totally different route, like way around um, up to this other town called Indiana. And that's where we hopped on a boat and went down. Um, but it was also cool because I had never seen Indiana before. So I was like, yeah, let's go. Um, check out a new place. Uh, and when we got to the port at Indiana, we saw Pink River Dolphins, which was awesome. I was I was <laughs> actually going to ask you, I didn't think you would actually have seen one. That's super cool that you got to see the the pink river dolphins yeah there was like three of them hanging out like right next to the dock and they are really cool to see they're not very pretty looking animals um they're okay they're uh they're very i mean they're awesome right it's a pink river dolphin yeah that's amazing um they're not very like (laughs) i'm like i don't want to like talk crap about these dolphins because they're cool but uh like our, you know, Atlantic bottlenose dolphins are like really smooth and like very agile and like, you know, um, these like when when these jump out, like when they breach out of the water, they just kind of like flop over. Um, they don't they're not as like fluid as the Atlantic yeah. bottlenose dolphins. Um, and they don't you know, they don't have that big fin sticking up. Um, they're a lot more. They reminded me of <laughs> this is such a terrible analogy. Uh, they remind me of a, a dolphin and a manatee if they had a baby and, uh, <laughs> and you asked a kid to make like a Play-Doh dolphin manatee, like they're very like mushed up and like, you kind of have a little bit of a fin, but then like the body's still kind of like fat. Um, they just look like little things of Play-Doh floating around out there. Um, but they're really cool. They're really active at this site. So we saw them. We saw them for like two seconds the first time that we went. And then the last trip, we saw those three that hung out like right by the dock for, we we probably watched them for like 15 minutes. So that was really cool. Are they super prevalent over like in, like if you were to stay there for like a while, just like on the the Amazon river, is it common? Yeah, you could probably see them. Um, If you were on the Amazon, it's, I think it's a, I think if you're there for like at least a couple of days, I think it's pretty much a guarantee um where our station was was off one of the tributaries and so it was pretty unlikely that we would see one um down that way which we didn't ever see one down that way the only time we saw them was when we happened to come back over to the amazon to go down the river to get back to Aquitos. um so we got super lucky that we saw at least one occurrence of them both times um they get west indian manatees down there too really yeah yeah which is super weird um that is way far away from the ocean um yeah mm-hmm. but they they're down there as well uh didn't see those so i have about as good a luck finding manatees in peru as i do in florida <laughs> <laughs> like, I just never we, seen uh, 
I, I did a boat tour Saturday. I was on the boats instead of the kayaks. And but there's a there's actually quite a few um, manatees on a seagrass bed out in out in Caxambus, out in the ten thousand. So that was pretty cool. Oh, nice. Yeah. I, I was like, I know um, they're starting to move back out into the estuary now. Yeah, they're they're starting, but slowly making their way. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> um. So let me ask you this. So we've we've asked a few of our guests this, um, but uh, just being someone who's been down in South Florida and stuff, you have kind of a more of a unique perspective. If you don't want to answer it, you know you don't have to. Just being the nature of the question. But <laughs> um, what are your thoughts on the Burmese pythons and you know make as far as like making them illegal for the pet trade and like the tegus and iguanas and other stuff like that? Yeah. Um... <clears throat> Oh man, yeah. So you definitely are like trying to get people in trouble with this. Uh, no, just um, no. I think it's I think it's a I think it's a totally valid question to ask, um, and I think it is also something that should be up for debate. Um, both of those are already. I mean, Burmese pythons, tegus are like decently established now. Green iguanas have been established for forever. Um, yeah. So Burmese pythons, I I get the push to have them as uh, restricted species um same thing with like anacondas and stuff i don't it just seems like a weird animal to have as a pet like i think they're yeah. amazing um but i know they don't do very well in captivity and because they have to have like they have like a really unique life history so it's yeah. you can't just put it you know can't really just put an anaconda into a tank um so yeah uh you know i think the I think the hunting program that they have for the pythons uh, is good. However, it's, you know, it's more of, you know, public relation type things. Like, yeah. you know, we're trying to, we're trying to get this under control, but we're not ever going to get this under control. Right. Um, they're, you know, they're here to stay. Um, that is not to say that we should not just give up on trying to take them out or reduce the populations as much as possible uh, because they are obviously causing massive destruction in the Everglades and surrounding areas. We have them over here in Naples too. Mm -hmm. um, things like the, yeah, the new regulations with uh, like iguanas, tegus, lots of the bigger lizards. Um, it really isn't a shock to me um, that that was going to be a thing. Uh, the green iguanas is kind of a weird one because I'm like, when I lived down in the Keys in 2010, um, you know, we used to call and say, hey, you know, there's a green iguana here. Um, and, you know, the state agencies, uh, local agencies, federal agencies, they were like, nah, it's, it's a green iguana. They're just here. Yes. Um, so, they, I mean, they literally told us, like, don't waste your time calling us for this because, like, we're not going to respond to it. So, yeah. um, I, it... <sighs> It's disappointing because the reason that it is getting such a big thing now is because of like public interest into it. And so it's probably because like iguanas are starting to like be more prevalent and they're crashing people's lanais and messing up like electrical boxes and digging into seawalls, uh, which are obviously structural issues. Right. Um, but uh, it it seemed weird that it was like oh no green iguana is like major 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 problem now and it's like they've been a problem for a long time we just haven't done anything about them until recently um and I, it's 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 definitely too little too late for 
most of those things. Um, but I do think I, I I do think they need to get kind of ahead of it. And you know, South Florida is a great place for exotic reptiles. And unfortunately, uh, snakes, lizards are really good at escaping their enclosures, and that's what, that's what mm -hmm, snakes yeah. are just good at. Um, mm -hmm. So I think you can't really control what people are going to do with a pet, but I think you can control like what types of pets people are going to have. Um, I would like to see uh, a similar push to control uh, feral cats. Um, I was just going to say, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, feral cats are far worse than any python could ever be for mm -hmm. the Everglades um, or for anywhere, really. But um, but again, cats are very well connected to humans. And so it's it's a lot harder for and again, I don't think we should ban people from owning cats, but I think there should be some sort of regulation or some sort of punishment if you if your cat is outside getting out like out into the wild because that's what cats do. They're great. They're not they're they're great killers. That's literally what they're bred to do. Um, so it you know it's you can't be mad at the animals for it, um, but you also can't just be like, well, you know I. I feel bad for a green iguana or for, uh, for, for Burmese pythons, but I still will take them in to get them euthanized. Um, because that's what they need, what needs to happen. Right. Yeah. Um, and feral cats, I guess the same, I don't know. Uh, it's just <laughs> harder, you know, it's just harder to, it's harder to get the general public, uh, behind something like that. Um, and unfortunately it's because reptiles are reptiles, right. Yeah. Um, Snakes have this, uh, especially in Western cultures, have this really maligned view um, that, and I think, and a lot of the, so a lot of the stuff that I do too, when I go out and give like public talks, uh, it, like I go to like communities and re, I like, you know, uh, parks and preserves and things like that. Um, and cause I think a lot of it is like, people just don't know about snakes uh, or other, you know, iguanas, whatever else. Um, and I, and I think the iguanas really get overlooked, too, because I think people like to see them in Florida because they're like, oh, it's tropical. Like, right. I feel like I'm in the Caribbean <laughs> and like kind of are, but like they're not supposed to be here. So um, but yeah, I think people I think letting people know what like that snakes are not going to chase you through the woods and like you come bite your children and eat your pets. Um, that's wild. Uh, but, uh, you know, people believe that. Um, and right. you know, somebody's, somebody's uncle has, this has happened to before everybody's heard this story. Right. Um, yeah. and then it's not ever this chase, the case, uh, I've, I've chased so many, uh, water moccasins that I've never had one turn around. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, uh, I think people getting, yeah, I think people getting like the education for it is good because they, they're like, Oh, like I, I always thought these bad things about them, but then like, <laughs> Just not just it's kind of like that fear that's there. Um, part of the talk that I give is like um, it's really like a Western culture because like other parts of the world do not fear and uh, like villainize snakes like we do. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, like the Jungle Book story, Ka uh, is the snake in the Jungle Book. Uh, and in the original story, uh, which was, I think, Indian. Um, the original story, uh, Ka was actually the mentor to Mowgli, 
Um, but when Disney took it, took the story, they actually adapted it and made Kai into one of the villains because Disney didn't believe that Western cultures would take well to a snake being a good character in a, in a plot. Um, which really just shows you like, it's literally just like made up things to like help reinforce this idea that like, right. oh, snakes are bad because snakes are bad. Right. Yeah. That that's funny about the jungle book thing. Cause I knew, I knew that it wasn't the, the movie wasn't anything like the book, but I didn't, I didn't know the mm-hmm. snake thing. Cause I, I remember cause jungle book growing up was one of my favorite movies. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. It, And it's in the, it's in the original story too. So I, I don't know about the, I think they made a book adaptation as well. Yeah. And the book may have also been adapted to Western, Western cultures, oh, okay. but uh yeah, um, I thought it was really interesting. I think I learned that from when I was at Dolphin Island. We had um, a guy from Nepal that worked with us, and he didn't like know much about snakes, um, but he was like super interested in them. Um, and in those in those cultures, they like revere these snakes as like you know examples of whatever. And um, even like you know Mexico, my, uh, I think it's what's the plume serpent. Um, Maybe Moctezuma, uh, but like Mayans and Aztecs, uh, they believe that they're oh Quetzalcoatl, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, they uh, they believe that their their ancestry began from this the plume serpent. So everybody has like come from that. Um, that's like one of their like origin stories. Um, so yeah, I always always find that really interesting. My dad's a history teacher, so I had to like learn all this crap when I was younger. And I was like, <laughs> I uh, and then now I'm like, oh, that's really cool. I watched the behind the scene things because we had the VHS tape of the Jungle Book, and the on the behind the scenes scenes things. One of the guys that worked on the movie was like, yeah, Walt Disney walked in and was like, has anyone read Rudyard Kipling's book, The Jungle Book? And they're like, no, and he's like, good. Because we're not gonna make it anything like it. <laughs> they just made their own thing. So. Nice. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, did it? Cool. Yeah, I, it, it's really interesting though, and especially like you being from Georgia and like living in Kentucky and stuff. Um, South Florida is a very different culture. Um, there's a lot of people that live here that really like reptiles, um, and that's not what I grew up around. That was not. You know, every, you know, all good snakes are dead snakes. Um, right. All dead snakes are good snakes. Um, you know, whatever that is. Um, and I would just hear that constantly. And I was always like, I didn't necessarily, kind of going back to what I, we were talking about originally, like how I got interested in it. I was like, I never was like super interested in working with snakes or like wanting to have them as pets or anything like that. I think my mom would have kicked me out of the house if I had a snake as a pet anyway. Um, but I always remember people saying that and I'm like, I was like, I don't know why they're just, they're just like legless lizard things that are squirming around. Like they're not doing anything. I mean, I, you know, I wasn't going to like pick up a rattlesnake, but right. um, you know, look at me now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, uh, um, the, um, uh, I forgot what I was going to say now. Um, oh, when on the kayak tours, whenever, you know, I tell people that, um, my expertise is in herpetology and stuff. They, you know, the first thing they ask is about the Burmese pythons and stuff. And yeah, I always bring up the feral cat thing. I always because that that's the thing is everyone they some people like 
like they put dogs and cats into a complete separate category of every other animal, you know? Yep. Um, yep. They get anthropomorphized more than any other group. And I think that honestly is like, I think that actually does more harm for them than good just for the animals in general. I mean, I, there's definitely yeah. some good that comes from it, but there's a lot of bad that I think comes from it too. But anyways, they get anthropomorphized a lot. So I always bring up the feral cat thing. Cause it's like, um, like the Burmese pythons are bad, but the feral cats are a whole lot worse and, no, yeah. one really, no one ever talks about it. And that's in every state that they're really bad. And, but yeah, no one yeah, and feral, and Yeah, feral cats are far more prevalent. Mm -hmm. They have caused extinctions of multiple species. Yeah. Um, and Burmese pythons have not done that, at least yet. Um, but uh, I mean, I wouldn't, be I wouldn't be surprised if the uh, Key Largo wood rat goes extinct because of the introduction of pythons. Um, wow. But, okay. uh, hmm? No, I just, I was just, that surprised me. That's. Oh yeah. Yeah. The Key Largo wood rat. Cause they're, it's a, it's an endangered species, but it's like just found on Key Largo. Oh, so oh wood rat. Sorry. I thought you said rat snake. And so I was, I was. Oh no, 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 no. Yeah. Key Largo wood rat. Yeah. 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 yeah okay. Um, the, uh, <laughs> yeah. And I think a lot of times too, I mean, and cause I think a lot of, a lot of people, especially herp like herpetology people, um, we are very passionate about it. And also like, Feral cats are the ones that were always like, but what about the cats? They're killing yeah. everything. <laughs> um, and I'm not sure if it's a great, I mean, it's definitely something to bring up, but I think mm -hmm. that a lot of people are super passionate about it. And it's like, you know, people are like, oh, kill that stupid cat. And it's like, <laughs> you can't like, don't like, don't lead with that. Right. You have to right. like, because people, people don't know, like, uh, like growing up in Alabama, I had two, I had two cats uh, in my life and they they were both out outdoor cats and I, we just did, I just didn't know any different. My parents maybe have known, but they were just like, eh. it wasn't, it wasn't really like, I mean, everybody had an outdoor cat, like literally every single person in our neighborhood. Um, and my first cat would, was definitely one of the cats that's like causing extinctions. He would bring home like decapitated squirrels and birds and like he killed yeah. every single thing in that, uh, that neighborhood. Um, I would see him like he was wild. He, I also would like, coming home from school um we'd be driving and then i would see like my cat fighting a dog in the street um he was wild he would win but these poor <laughs> dogs were getting beat up by this cat um but he was like i mean he was just murdering everything out there and i remember being like oh my gosh this is a lot but it was but as a kid i was kind of like this was cats do like yeah. cats are outside and they kill and eat stuff we also give them kibble <laughs> so, you know, um that's just they have us trained pretty well um so you know it's i, I always use that too because i'm like i i also did that but then i learned how bad cats are uh for the environment and so mm -hmm. you can still like cats you don't have to you know you're not trying to out there like massacring all the cats um yeah. but you know like you know, telling people like hey they should be they should be indoors um you can do, uh, I actually really love the like patios, like the little cat patios, yeah. um, like in, you know, enclosed areas and stuff for cats. Yeah, yeah. Cause cats, we like to, you know, they like to sit outside too. They don't want to be trapped in a house all day too. Um, or I've seen people walking cats on leashes, which again is just wild to me, but yeah, uh, yeah. that's a thing that you can actually train it to do. They're smart. Yeah. For They're sure. stubborn, but uh, <laughs> that's the, I, that's the perk of cats. I think is what people like about them that's a good point though a lot of people everyone everyone does a pendulum swing you can be one side of it and you mm -hmm. convince them everything it always has to go to the complete other side so that's a good point that 
Valentine. Yeah, you know I think I think a meet. A, it's one of those like kind of meet in the middles, but you don't want to meet in the middle because then you're like, oh, if you just let your cat out first, sometimes, like it's still defeating the purpose, right? Because yeah. like that cat's still getting out there and like eating all the cardinals. Um, <laughs> so uh, that was my cat's favorite bird to kill, I guess. Um, but he, uh, but yeah, like you know, you're just like. <clears throat> all right, like show them like why they're bad. Um, and it's, yeah. you know, everybody's always like, not my cat. And it's like, it is, it's everybody's cat. Your, your cat is probably out there killing stuff. It's very yeah. likely. Right. Um, and I also always lead with, uh, I always tell people, you know, your cat is far more likely to, if it's outside, it's, it's far more likely to get viruses. It's to get diseases, to get hit by a car. So like your cat is, or, I mean, we live in South Florida. Your cat could easily get eaten by an alligator, uh, eaten by a big snake. Um, we got a, we had several that will definitely <laughs> eat a cat. Um, panthers, bobcats, like coyotes. Um, I mean, feral hogs too, probably are out killing stuff. Um, cause that's what hogs do. Uh, and so, you know, there's, there's plenty of wildlife. I've seen video cameras of like people, you know, pe people's house cameras that are showing like a, there was a couple, maybe it's like two or three years ago. Uh, down in Naples, Golden Gate, there was a a video of a panther coming up and nabbing a cat off of somebody's car. Um, wow! Holy cow! Was, yeah, yeah, it was wild. Um, but like, that's yeah, that's that's what wild cats do too. So <laughs> that's bizarre. <laughs> that's yeah, cool. it was it was well, crazy. It was yeah. it was it was in a pretty intense. I mean, and you know, and you don't want to. I mean, I don't want to watch cats get eaten and killed but you know yeah that's what happens right if they're out there your your cat is now part of outdoors so outdoors is there for sure but, yeah i had uh i was talking about the feral cats when someone asked me about the brooms path on so i was talking about the feral cats and stuff and she said that she volunteers um at a, at a kennel or something one of the county things and you know she was talking about how they'll they'll like capture the feral cats and neuter them and then let them back out there so they're not propagating it's like it's something <laughs> but yeah. i was yeah, yeah. <laughs> so but anyways i i told her i was like it'd be funny to ask i was like you should ask your people what they think is worse the burmese python or the or the feral cat problem i was like because i feel like they'd say the burmese pythons and then of course we're gonna say the feral cat so yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, well and it's like and it's, I think also people are not as, uh, I think the pythons are scarier to general public because one, it's a snake, but two, like they they can eat deer uh, <laughs> and bobcats and like possums and raccoons and big things, right. um, like a great blue heron they can eat. Um, and cats are killing like warblers and squirrels and mockingbirds you know and so it's like it's like small things that are people like oh but i've like you know i've hit that with my car before uh <laughs> or you know it's like something like something smaller that you're like oh okay it's kind of like passive right. um but then you're like oh my cat actually killed like 500 mockingbirds this year like that's a lot um right. so it's a lot it's a lot different than uh you know a python eating a deer in a year so. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. Because if I, that's 
you know, I I talk about too how like the Burmese pythons are. I mean, the wild ones not as much as like if you had a pet or whatever. But like I talk about how Burmese pythons are super super docile snakes. Like, like yeah, that's why they were that's why they were popular for the pet trade because exactly. they are quite docile and they hatch out pretty big and they uh are they're already two feet so right they hatch and so you can feed them you know little mice and stuff and you're like i think people also kind of be like okay like you're fine feeding a rat like a frozen rat or something to a snake but then once you're you know a year your snake's four foot long you're like oh now i gotta start feeding it like bunnies um and then people are not as apt at uh having a dead bunny or a live bunny to feed to their python that's exactly what happened i had someone on my tour who had a, a retic and mm. um once they started having to feed it rabbits they they ended up giving it to someone else and stuff yeah well at least it was giving it and not we let it go in the everglades well okay so that's another <laughs> thing i was going to ask you about is um I, so like one of the one of the arguments i hear a lot of um different like herpetologists say against like some of the stricter um pet new reptile exotic pet rules and stuff is um mm -hmm. it's like shutting the barn door after everything's already been released um and so his argument was that people you know you st you're still gonna have people releasing pets that they don't want into the wild but that's not really happening nearly as much as it used to it doesn't really happen as much anymore would you agree with that or would you say it's still a pretty big problem um Oh, that's tough. That's tough to say because, like, I think there is a lot more outreach about don't release your pet. Um, mm -hmm. Like, you know, I mean, I feel like we all grew up where you're like, if, you know, if your goldfish dies, you just flush it down the toilet. Um, <laughs> right. Or, like, you know, any fish, you're just like, oh, like, let it be free. Um, <clears throat> and kids do that, right? Like, this, you right. know and adults um but uh i think i think there's a lot more awareness uh of invasive species especially now especially in south florida uh, mm -hmm. because we have such a pervasive issue of these invasive species um i i don't like the argument uh against the regulations of people are already people are going to do it anyway <laughs> i just I, I just never thought that was a good argument for anything um but uh, I do see the point of like, you're closing the barn door after all the animals have gotten out. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, but then also like, I, I understand a regulation of it because, or right, I mean, I would love to see regulations of all pets where like you have to, cause, and everybody's seen this too, right? You have like people that get dogs that should not have a dog. Um, yeah absolutely i've worked at you know i worked at pet stores in my grad per, like during my during my graduate program um and it was like an exotic pet store and people would come in and try to buy dogs and cats and birds and snakes and lizards and turtles and whatever else um and all the time people would come in and like you know somebody's going to get a sulcata tortoise and it's like you know <clears throat> two you know inches long yeah. you're like this ain't this thing's gonna live forever. It's gonna get massive. We had one that walked around in the store, so you could see what it's gonna turn into. And we're like, yeah. this is 30 years old. They live a hundred years. Like they're gonna get triple the size. Um, 
they get really big. Like you, this is, you gotta be, and there's just like, you know, people still think like, Oh, I'll just keep it in a small tank and it won't grow. And it's like, I don't, I never understood why that was a myth that was out there. Even um, if that's true, why would you want to do that? Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I was like, people, and people would come in and say that too. And I was like, no, that's not how like growth works. Um, yeah. But you know, I'd, I'd also be like, you know, it, you know, it, they usually would have a kid and that's usually how they wanted to keep a small animal for their kid. Um, and I'd always be like, I mean, that would be like the same as like if you put your kid into the closet and like you lock them in there and then you would like bring them food, like they're still going to grow, but they're going to grow inside of a closet. Yeah. So, like they, ha they they need to be outside. They need to see sunshine. They need yeah. to have space. Like there needs to be stuff there. Um, they can't just be in a little box for forever because um, that's not how that's going to work. Um, and so, you know, people will still get pets and stuff. I would I personally would have loved to see. I was always the, the person being like, uh, no, you cannot buy this dog. Uh, uh, no, you your two year old does not need a teacup chihuahua uh, because your two year old is going to kill that dog. Like, yeah, no, absolutely not. Um, like, you need like a medium to large size dog. Like, get that. right. That's yep. a great. That's a great dog for kids. Um, so yeah, I don't. I, I really don't like the argument of like it. It's it's going to happen anyway. So like why not right um but again i also i i don't know it, it's weird because i i really do see both sides and i don't think there's a good answer to any of it um yeah. and you know it's like i i heard uh you know people during the the when they started making like you know you have to have iguanas and tegus and all the like larger lizards um pit tagged and things like that um people were saying well like I have all these things in my house, but I don't want to have to do all that. So I'm just going to release them all. Like, then what, why would you like, why yeah. do that in the first place? Like you don't like, you must not like your pets if that's really the case. Right. Um, so there, you know, there, if, and I, and I'm also the person, like if I have a pet as an, if I have an animal that I'm keeping, I, it is my pet. Like it's a family member. Um, so I want to spend time with it. I want to interact with it. Um, I don't like keeping it, you know, don't, I don't want to keep them just in a box. Um, so I don't like the, like, oh, like, you know, obviously you like fish, you don't get out and play with, uh, but, uh, you know, like there's still, you know, that's still there. Like, I don't like to keep like, you know, I want them to have a big enough space. I have a yellow toe cribbo at home right here. Um, and he's awesome. Uh, but I have to keep getting larger tanks cause he's growing. Um, and earlier today I, I have a lanai that's fenced in and so i let him out on the lanai and stay out there with him and watch him move around and lets him stretch and move out and um he gets to interact with different things so um yeah i don't know it's such a weird it's such a weird dichotomy and there's a lot involved with it i do so i'm the same way i like um personally i like being able to handle things and and, and I, yeah. I like observing things so i like being able to interact and, and stuff like that so I prefer if I'm going to get a pet, I prefer something I can handle more as opposed to something yep. that I can't. But yeah, and then I also, just also why I don't want a venomous snake as a pet. <laughs> I yeah, I always said if I ever got a venomous, if I ever got anything hot, it'd be a copperhead just because those are one of my favorites. But yeah, um, I do love them a lot. Yeah. So uh, and they're yeah, and they're super mild. So uh, yeah, but <laughs> or or a Gila monster because Gila monsters are really cool too. And um, yeah, I have a I have a buddy that uh, lives up in Tennessee, and he actually did he worked with Helos for his uh, PhD program, um, and he's got I think he has two or three at home, 
That's awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. So, I did. There's I, such cool animals. I want to see one in the wild so bad. That'd be really cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I did. Uh, when I was at the Kentucky Reptiles, I got to work with some um, Kilas too, which is pretty nice. cool. Um, yeah, I do the same thing. I let my reptiles out in the lanai, the screened in lanai, and yeah. South Florida is a great spot for them. Like it's a great climate to have reptiles. So you don't have to, you really don't have to worry about it getting cold. Um, right. Exactly. Yeah. So especially, you know, with like things like maybe like ball pythons, like they cannot handle cooler temperatures. So they're a little bit different, but like the yellow cribbo, I, I literally, I rarely ever turn on the heat lamp for him. It's yeah. just, he's just like, if it's cold in the house, it'll be like 70 degrees. And you're like, yeah, he's fine. <laughs> the uh my ball python actually so I, I, one was given to me and um i'll let him on the porch every once in a while um but it was it was interesting and i kind of had this conversation with someone on here before about it um because i it was given to me and they gave me the tank that they had for it and everything um and it was like a, a 20 gallon tank um and i was like and i was keeping him in there he seemed fine and stuff but i don't know just something like it, like it just seemed like he needed more space and so i put him on the porch and i watched him um one day and he used the entire porch i mean it's not like a big porch or anything but yeah he was all over like all night all over the entire porch and stuff going all over the place and stuff and yeah that's when i realized it's like they use a lot more space than you think because you know you always hear the argument that and some snakes are that way that they don't need a whole lot of space but but you yeah know, you always hear the argument well but it, but even then like ball pythons are one of those that people use pretty often as the snake that like, Oh, they don't need space. Like, right. They just like to coil up somewhere. I'm like, I, I just can't imagine any animal just wants to, I mean, maybe a Pac-Man frog. Um, <laughs> but I bet, I bet even they move like, yeah, they're not, there's no way they just sit there. Yeah. Their entire life in the same spot. Like they got to move a little bit. Yeah. But yeah. Um, that's, and yeah, I mean, during the day, I mean, that's what ball pythons do. They just kind of sit there curled up, but you got to watch them at night, you know, when they're moving when around. They would normally, yeah, when they would normally be active and moving around, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Same. Yeah. So, I mean, I think like you know, boa constrictors and things like that too. Um, which I think the yeah, our our red tail boas on the. I don't know if they're on that list of restricted snakes. Remind. I'm pretty sure. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty um, sure all bow constrictors I, are uh, restricted. Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be shocked by it. Um, Last I looked, it was. Um, but also, it, they it are. There's an established population of them too. Yeah, it, it could be. It could be different now. But last I looked, it was um, African rock pythons, um, Burmese pythons, obviously scrubs, retics, and. Um, Indian rock pythons, I think, or northern rock pythons, something. Yeah. Something like that. Last um, but it could be could be different. Yeah, and I know uh yeah, because I, I I wouldn't be shocked if the bows are on there. I know they were like a really popular one um for a while. Uh one of the um kind of a similar project. Uh one of the grad students at FGCU, um he is working with bow constrictors on St. Croix. Uh and they're oh. they're invasive there. Um yeah. they were they were pet releases and now it's a major, major problem there. Um, but I, and I, I got to go down there, um, with, uh, with them when they were doing that work and, uh, 
it was very very cool one but also literally everything on st croix is invasive uh they have <laughs> mongooses and deer and goats and cats and dogs and iguanas and like there's very few native animals there um so we actually ran into a lot of people um hold on one second my computer's dying um you're good we ran into a lot of people that were uh concerned about the work um they were trying to like you know control the population but uh the argument was like everything else is invasive here too so what do we care if they're eating mongooses um, oh, yeah. and i was like well that's a good point um because it doesn't really matter if they're eating mongooses um because they're also not supposed to be here um they're just a bigger one but everybody on the island is like terrified of them because of snakes um they love the mongooses because they're cute little squirrel looking things right um yeah i think the i actually moved to south florida because i was really interested in invasive species there's no better place than south florida so uh it it's still you know it's not really part of my research now um because i'm focusing on you know obviously focus on the native stuff uh but i still think it's a really interesting aspect because we do have so many invasive species that it's mm -hmm. the native species that are living here are really unique because they're interacting with these invasive species that other populations of the same species further north even north of like like orlando is they're not interacting with these species at all right so indigos and rattlesnakes at rookery bay are interacting with pythons i would say fairly regularly um but if you go to orlando uh there's no pythons up there so huh, that's uh, super yeah. interesting uh, so yeah that's a lot of that research was like because we're in like a completely different climate mm -hmm. so and you know we have all the invasive so uh we were looking at some of those parasites that came in from the burmese pythons getting into our native snakes and um i think they've seen them in a couple of lizards and frogs and stuff as well uh but uh yeah i think it's i think it's just super unique i always thought invasive ecology was so interesting the uh well you know um jamaica they're actually releasing i don't know if you heard about this they're releasing a thousand iguanas over there um because i, I guess yeah, because I guess um, the native ones that they have there, they thought were extinct. But I guess they found a few, and so they have oh. they 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 got a. I'm I'm not sure the specifics, but yeah, they have like a thousand of them, and they're going to release them there to try and reestablish the population. So, oh, very cool. Yeah, is that? Do you happen to know what kind? Is it Cyclera? I I don't I, know the article. I, that I, I literally do not know my Caribbean iguanids very well. <laughs> uh, the cyclers are really cool though like the rhinoceros iguanas yeah 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 i uh, don't know um it the article i read didn't um did specify though but i'll have to, I'll have to look into that that's interesting there was also um the usgs also got trail cam footage not too long ago of a bobcat eating a burmese python eggs i don't know if you're yeah that was yeah super that was super super cool very ballsy bobcat <laughs> for sure because uh, they'll get eaten by pythons so 
Um, yeah, I thought that was, I saw that and I, I was pretty shocked. I, I would not expect a Bobcat to even try to mess with a, especially a mother Python on her eggs. Yeah. Cause it, it initially it, like attacked the Python. I haven't seen the video, but from what I read, it initially like attacked the Python then left and came back when the Python was gone and ate her eggs. Yeah. Which is I guess crazy. just like, I mean, I'm sure the, I wonder if the, um, like the mother Python, I need to look at like times and stuff. I'm not a hundred percent sure of like the act, the whole scenario, but she could have just laid those eggs and was just like, I'm tired. <laughs> so, um, probably didn't put up a huge fight against the, the Bobcat, but then, you know, uh, maybe not a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> That's super cool. Yeah. I was, I was very, very shocked to see that. Um, and I mean, you know, I, I think it'll, you know, everything it'll, I think it'll eventually like kind of weigh out. We, I think we will lose a lot of species um, along the way. We've already lost the marsh rabbits out of the Everglades um, yeah. because because of pythons. Um, so I think I think it will be a continued issue. Um, but I think a lot of the species are, you know, I mean, they're as they become more prevalent, you're also going to see more interactions of our native species taken out the the invasive ones right, i've seen yeah. you know they've seen uh you know an indigo you know they've seen indigo snakes eating burmese pythons baby burmese pythons um wow. which is pretty cool uh the conservancy had i think it was a water moccasin that ate a baby burmese python um which is also pretty cool that um, is actually really cool yeah pretty weird observation for that uh and you know as gators and birds and i mean you know bobcats uh i mean bobcats will eat rattlesnakes like you know they'll eat pythons like smaller sure, ones. yeah mm -hmm. um yeah so i think it's yeah i think it's really interesting to see how it's how it it's going <laughs> do you know if there's know if ever been do you know if there's ever been any evidence of raccoons eating python eggs? That'd be a big meal for them. For them. That would be, yeah. Um, uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if they've ever seen it. Um, but I think that bobcat was the first time we've ever really seen like predation on a python. That's what I read. Yeah. Um, it would be very, very cool to put cameras on Burmese python nest. Um, but they they nest in such weird, unique locations, um, you know, in gopher tortoise burrows mm -hmm. uh, several years ago, um, back. Like right when I started grad school, um, I was helping one of the Python researchers uh, that was tracking a female that had laid eggs and she was I'm not going to tell location. Uh, <laughs> she was uh, pretty much in a neighborhood in Naples oh, and wow. she was underneath a silt fence that had fallen over so it was like house house empty lot and then a house she was in the empty lot in between the houses and you know how big the land like the plots are in naples which is like yeah. 10 feet Super so um she was right between them underneath this fallen silt fence with her eggs and i think she had like 40 eggs under there That's uh, none of the homeowners knew none of them that's knew. hilarious so the uh the researcher that i was going with he was like 
we got to be pretty careful kind of going over this way because people are going to freak out about it. Um, it was like, it was, I will say, it wasn't like a very, like, uh, it wasn't a very developed area. Um, so it, you know, it wasn't like a, like a big, big neighborhood. It was like close to a waterway, close to, uh, close to like reserves. Yeah. So there was like, it was, it made a little bit more sense. Um, but it was like, kind of have to like sneak around and like don't want to point it out to people um and it was a tagged one uh so they knew like when it was gonna give birth they went in there uh and they took the eggs out and took the female out um and euthanized her in the end but um took the eggs out before they hatched but they wanted to make sure that uh the eggs like developed enough because they wanted to look at uh, patterns and things like that so they took them back in when they were close to hatching and then hatched them in the lab and then euthanize them all and then uh took genetics and stuff like that so i thought it was pretty cool um i'm sure people in the neighborhood were probably not thrilled um but <laughs> but you know you live in naples you live out in the woods wooded areas like you're gonna have wildlife there's um uh this lady that i work with that uh her she lives in um one of those populated uh uh what are they called neighborhoods and she said, she said she had a chameleon walking up her driveway. Is that not the most bizarre thing you've ever heard? Like she, it well, was so a big walking, like on the walk? ground. Yeah, walking on the ground. Oh, that's yeah. yeah I think that's weird. She, it, it was a big panther chameleon. It was gorgeous chameleon. Oh. And and I was like, she's like, yeah, I found it at my house. I was like, oh, that's cool. And it's, it's um. Well, anyways, so I was like, that's cool. And um. And I was like, Where, where'd you, like, did you just, woods behind your house and stuff? She's like, no, no, I was, like, in my front yard. I was like, oh, in your, your garden or something? She's like, no, I was walking up the driveway when I came home. I was like, what? Wild. Wild. I know. I was <laughs> like, it's so weird. I was like, is it diseased or anything? Like, is there something wrong with it? And she's like, no, nah, I've had it for several months now. And she she kept it. Wow. And stuff. Yeah. And it, was a, it was a panther chameleon? Yep. Wow. Yeah, because you don't see those very often, like. No. The veils obviously are just super, super common. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was That's a panther cool. chameleon. And of course, everyone and their mother started reaching out to her, finding out, <laughs> asking the like, I'll pay you to let yeah. me look around your house <laughs> for a chameleon. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, but I mean, it's a panther chameleon. So, right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, um, I that's something I'd really like before I leave for Australia. I would really like to. I don't know if I told you about that or not, but mm -hmm. um, when you in Australia in June, going to get my master's. Oh, um, nice, yeah, yeah. So, but um, in Australia, in Australia, yeah, at the University of Queensland, they're awesome. That's so cool, super excited, but yeah. So, before I go over there, I that's one thing I really want to do is see if I can't find a wild chameleon out here so but that's yeah um i've seen a couple i mean they're all veils um yeah. but i don't know where i mean i found them at like three oaks park library from what i'm told they're usually in really populated areas because they're almost all of those are released I mean, they're pretty much all released pets so they're like they're, yeah they're like planted yeah yeah people will plant them out there yeah um yeah, I've taken I've taken several and given them to pet as pets to people. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had a friend who said if you if you find when I moved out, he was like, if you find one, I'll pay the shipping if you ship it out to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, um, that and I want to find a Nile a Nile monitor. Oh man, out in Cape, I have never seen one, and would love to. That'd be cool. The problem um, I'm finding is they're getting into the canals. For one, like I don't want to just park in someone's yard and. You know what I'm saying? And like put in my kayak and especially uh, especially the Cape. Ugh. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh there's really nowhere. To, I mean, I guess like the Niles are supposed to be up in uh like North Cape. So it's a little less urbanized, but mm. um I think they have I think they've seen Tegus up there too. Green iguanas for sure, because they're just everywhere. But um someone told me that they saw Tegu on Goodland. Oh, interesting. Strange. Yeah, all right. I'm starting um, to see a lot of curly tail lizards around um, the paddle park and uh, like Mani the Manatee Road gas stations. Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's pretty recent. That's fairly new, like last maybe like last year or two. That's what uh, one of the guys was telling me that it's. I had never seen a curly tail until again, probably about like two years ago there which is funny if you go to miami they're also dime a dozen they're everywhere yeah um, yeah everything's like a dime a dozen over miami yeah <laughs> any uh yeah i always tell people like they're always asking about lizards and i'm like uh well it, it's a, it's an invasive just pretty much can guarantee you it's not supposed to be here if you see a lizard in florida <laughs> south florida well, i even did a lot see, of the anole. you get a lot of a green a green anole mm -hmm. on like out in the swamp the other or out in the uh like the kayaking and if you go all the way to the very very back of the uh the rookery so yeah you know there's like when you're out in McIlvain bay you go all the way to the back and there's that uh, mud flat mm -hmm. over to the right side yeah, like yeah pretty large um if you keep going and then it turns sharp to the left uh i saw it right there before you turn sharp to the left and it was a green anole in on like a little tiny mangrove sticking out into the water. Wow. That's a pain. Yeah. I was like, I feel like I should move it, but I don't <laughs> know where to move it to. It's how to get out here. I know. I almost, it's funny in Georgia, green anoles everywhere down here. You're going to see like Puerto Rican crested anoles. Those are a little bit rare, but like Bahamian anoles, like stuff like brown anoles, you'll hardly ever see green anoles. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, rare. It's that's probably the first one I've seen in a couple months. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I saw one. Um, I don't remember where I was at. I was in some swamp too. I saw one. Yeah, it surprised <laughs> me. <laughs> it's because yeah. it throws you off. You see just a bunch of, you know, you see the you know, the brown anoles are just everywhere here, and so you just see the anoles shooting. You you don't even notice them until like some bright green shoots across, and like yeah, oh. yeah, you're like what is that and you're like, oh yeah, yeah. That's, that's a native <laughs> <laughs> oh man um all right well i am gonna have to head out in a minute um i gotta work in the morning yeah same Ooh, it's past yeah, my bedtime so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so all right um, well yeah cool, thanks for having me on yeah i'm glad you came thanks for thanks for coming we had we had fun so i appreciate it yeah
again, I can, we can talk about reptiles and amphibians and whatever else all day. <laughs> yeah, same. So awesome. Cool. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. No problem. Have a good one. Yeah, y'all have a good night. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm. This week's sponsors is Serpents and Salamanders. Now, if you're like me and you like snakes and salamanders, then you're going to like these guys. I cannot recommend them more. I've gotten several animals from them, and all the animals I've gotten are top-of-the-line, high-quality, captive bred. I seriously cannot recommend these guys more. So, if you're looking for your next snake or your next salamander, give these guys a call. You will not regret it.